Melvin, darker skin, yes. Hair is not the same by any means. I noticed a little bald patch up there, bro. I'm just looking, I'm just saying. When you turn around, they can see it, brother. Oh, that's Tristan's, that's Tristan. That's, that's the result of Tristan. That's what that is. You know, why is it when we get older, the hair that we have starts to fall out or let go? Why is that? I haven't figured that out yet. Mine seems to be getting thinner up there. Maybe it's because I'm getting smarter. I don't know. But anyway, aren't we blessed? We are very, very blessed, and thank you for your participation in Love Week. There will be benefits of that in the days to come. Our wonderful student pastor, Michael, said something this morning. When is Love Week up? I looked at him. I said, come on, buddy. I said, come on now. Love Week is never up. It's, it's 24-7, 52 weeks a year. It's not just one week, but uh, you guys have been great. We're looking forward to giving you guys some totals coming up, but I already know. As of this past week, there was, I knew that we had already blown away that goal of so many glasses that we were going to give, and the Lions Club were going to be very excited about that. But uh, anyway, we're glad that you're here today. Look to the person on your left and right and say, I'm glad that you're here. I hope you're glad they're here. Why don't you turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we're following. We're going to pick up where we left off last, last week. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and through 30. I think this is one of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible. And this has to be one of the verses, the passage, verse 28, is, has to be one of those quoted verses in all of the scripture. Um, and why don't you read this passage with me, verses 28 through 30 in chapter 8 of Romans. This is what Paul had to say. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Having called them, he, came, he gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Can I, can I tell you a story? Can I do that? Yes. Okay, that's good. I appreciate you guys responding. That gives me the freedom to be able to share a story with you. So back in the 18th century, stories told of a sailor who was on a ship along with some other sailors. By the way, you didn't know that sailors hang out together. And so, it's supposed to be funny because where else do you go when you're on a ship? Um, you guys are slow today. Uh, See, y'all just want to get home to watch the race. I know what the deal is. I know what the deal is. But, uh, but anyway, um, so this sailor, they're out on the seas. They're sailing the seas, and a storm comes up, completely destroys the ship and everybody on it except this one person. He um, makes his way um, to the shore, and for the next few days, he gathers the resources that would, that would float up on the banks of the shore um, and these resources would help him survive, very few um, and far between, but there was enough to sustain him for a period of time. He made a makeshift hut, and for there he stayed looking for a ship that would come his way and with the possibility of rescuing him, but no ship ever showed up. And so a couple of weeks after being in that position, he decided that he would see 
um, a little bit more of the island that he had washed up. He didn't know where he washed up. And so off he went, having left everything that he had saved, that he had, um, that he had gathered up there, and then he left to go. Um, on his way back later that afternoon, after doing some research on the, on the island, um, he noticed a smoke in the distance, and the fears began to settle in. That's everything that I have. And he crossed over the sand dune to see that that's exactly what it was, that the fire that he had left burning had caught and it caught everything that he had on fire and burned it completely up. The man began to curse God. He was angry. He was mad. God, where are you? Why have you allowed me to experience this? And it's just this, this, this unsettledness, this doubt, this anger just overwhelmed him for the next few hours. And um, after a period of time, there was a ship that showed up and a little boat that came to the shore, and the man that got off and said, man, we never would have found you if it wouldn't have been for the smoke signal that you sent up. I say that to say, aren't we glad that God isn't caught by surprise? Aren't we glad that things don't catch God off guard and, he, and, and God say, oh my goodness, I never knew that was going to take place. And as I read chapter Eight, verse 28, one of the verses that, that people quote, I would say, is most often in those times of uncertainty and struggling. And what I want to do today is I'd like to be able to take that passage and the other passages that we're going to talk about, and I'd like to, to put it in the form of a, of a gemstone. Let's just say a diamond. Now, I'm, a, I'm not a diamond guy because I don't have a diamond-type wallet. I've got a zirconium wallet, Okay. So, but we're going to say we're going to take this diamond and we're going to hold it up. And what I want to do is I want to look at different angles of this diamond, this perspective, and try to pull out of, of this, catching the beauty at each little turn. And, um, you know, when we, when we quote Romans 8.28, it's important to remember that not all things that we experience in life are good. For instance, the diagnosis of cancer isn't good. The unexpected death of a loved one isn't good. War isn't good. Abuse isn't good. And yet the verse says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That even though everything isn't good, God can take all those other things, even in the worst of situation, and he can use them for good. Amen? Very much so. When talking about Romans, it was R.A. Torrey that made the statement, a soft pillow for a tired heart when referring to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know, how many times is, is, have I myself, forget about you, but how many times have I read that passage in the middle of a difficult time and felt um, and my soul find rest in the promises of God here? Very much so. But before we go any further, let's just remind ourselves where we've been. We've talked about the bad news, the fact that all of us are sinners. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner for some, for some of you more than others, right? Um, and some of you enjoyed that too much, having somebody. I know, see, I've always told you that. Pastor Sid said that. 
the bad news, driving home the point that all of us are sinners and all of us fall short, that all of us deserve God's wrath and judgment. But that's not where it was all left at because we came back a little bit later in 4 and 5 to see that the good news is the fact that God, in spite of our sin, chose to love us, that he, his son, Jesus, demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He would give his life for us. And then in chapters 6 and 8, we've been learning about the fact that there's no condemnation in Christ. I'm not under the bondage of sin any longer. Sin is no longer my master. It's not the law that saves us, but we're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And now here we are in chapter 8, halfway through, sitting at the precipice, the top of the hill, overlooking the landscape of an incredible view of God's care and his love for us. You know, I, I, I was writing out some things the other day in reference to Valentine's Day for Meredith, and I was just recounting some of the places and the things that we've seen. We've experienced a lot of things and saw an awful lot of sights over our lifetime, like standing on the continental divide of the United States, like being in the, in the Canadian Rockies and looking at, at there at Lake Lure from the top of the mountain down onto that lake, being in the Grand Canyon or being in the mountains out in Hawaii and looking at the Pacific Ocean and God's incredible creation. But today we're going to stand at the top of the mountain and we're not going to be thinking about the landscape of God's creation, but we're going to look at the landscape of God's unconditional care. We're going to focus most of all on verse 28, but we're going to move throughout the verses. But today what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at just maybe six different aspects of, of God's care. Um, but before we do that, can we pray? Father, what I'm praying today is that in whatever situation that we may find ourselves, that when we're done here today, there'll be no question of the fact of your love and how deeply you care for us. Holy Spirit, would you um, open us up to receive your word, not the words that I say, but would you be active and moving within this room today as well as those that are listening online. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm glad that you're here today. Aren't you? Yeah, you're here for a reason. Those listening online are listening for a reason. And I bet you God's got something that he wants to say to you. The first of the point that I want to say today is the certainty of God's care. As we talk about God's care, the fact that we can be certain of God's care. Look at the first three words there in verse 28 in Romans chapter 8. And they are, and we what? And we know. He didn't say, um, Paul didn't say, I hope so. He didn't say, um, you know, we can think so. But he says, we can no, 32 times plus we find in Paul's letters those three words, the phrase, and we know. At least five times we find those phrase, that phrase in the book of Romans. And here's Paul referencing God's care, something that we can specifically know about, not have to think about. Even when things don't look promising, we can know. And the Old Testament, it was the prophet Habakkuk that would cry out in the midst of some difficult times, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to be silent over this? Why is this happening? 
It was a Solomon who would write in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to be born as well as a time to die. We don't know when that is. And it was Jesus himself that would say, no one knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. So there's a lot of things that we don't know. You don't know. They're uncertain. (laughs) But there are some things that we can know based on the truth of what God's word has to say. And those truths are, number one, God loves us. And number two, God cares for us. It would Peter that would, that would write in the words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, give all your worries and cares to the Lord. And you know why? Because he cares for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God cares for you. How many times do we forget that? How many times do we fail to realize the significance of that truth that God cares for me? In other words, I don't have to worry, but I can be certain of God's care. Even in those times when it doesn't look like it, even in those times when I'm uncertain, he, we can be certain. I heard one, someone say one time, you can be a no-so believer instead of a so-so believer. That's pretty good. I want us to be no-so believers instead of so-so believers. In other words, we can lay down our head at night and there can be an unwavering assurance of the fact that God cares for us. Let's turn the diamond just a little bit and let's get another perspective. Not just the certainty of God's care, but what about the totality or the breadth of God's care? Look at what Paul goes on to write. And we know that God causes what? Everything. Everything to work together. God calls everything. I mean, I can't think of another statement that brings more confidence or assurance than this statement. Remember, Paul wasn't saying that all things are good. That would be a ridiculous statement in light of all the things that we see going on in and around us. Matter of fact, sometimes you just need to turn the tube off. How many worries and cares and anxieties are faced because we spend so much time listening to what's going on out there instead of what's happening here? Paul isn't saying that all things are good because they're not. But what Paul is saying is going, he's going to, when we walk through those times of difficulty, regardless of what we may face, God is at work and he is involved. I mean, it would be a whole lot easier if we were to make the statement that in some things or in most things, they things work together. But Paul said, no, he said in all things and all things means all things. No exclusions. Paul was saying that there is nothing beyond the scope of God's care. George Mueller, who was a pastor, a missionary, he's best known for his care for orphans in England. If you've never heard about his incredible faith, it'd be good to go back and read some of the autobiographies about him and his life. But this is what he's had to say about Romans chapter 8, verses 28. In 1,000 trials, it isn't 500 of them that work for the believer's good, but 999 of them and one beside. It was, it was his way of saying all things, all things. What's included, though, in that all things? I mean, what's Paul really, when he's talking about all things, what is he in, including in all Things. Well, we've already identified that all things means all things. But in reference to the context of where Paul has been, what else is he saying? Well, we know that just before this, he's talking about the sufferings that we experience inside of this world, as well as the groanings as we await the return of Christ and our future glory. And so all things includes not just all things, but 
referencing the sufferings of this world and the groanings as a result of what takes place. One guy would write this. He said, all things are dark things. They're bright things. They're happy things. They're sad things. They're sweet things. They're bitter things. They're times of prosperity. They're times of adversity. All things is all things. But don't misread the verse. It isn't that all things just happen to work out for good on their own, but that's not the idea. But the idea behind that is that God is the prime facilitator. He is always at work. It's not a statement of faith that things are going to work out on their own, but it's a statement of faith that God is providentially on the throne working out things for his purpose because God's got a plan and God's got a Purpose. We could say that maybe a related verse of this would maybe be like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of our ways and he will make straight our path. I mean, it doesn't mean if doesn't matter if our path is straight, if it's twisted, if there's obstacles or whatever it may be that what we're facing, but when we're trusting God, he will direct our path and he will be the one that makes it. Straight. Have you, have you ever heard of PTSD? You know, that's become, a, that's become something that's become more familiar over the past few years after the war and, and things of such. Well, PTSD, um, it's, it, it supposedly happens in a person's life, post-traumatic stress disorder. It happens in a, in a person's life that has walked through a tragedy or a terrifying event in their life. You've heard of PTSD, but have you ever heard of PTG? little bit less known of, post-traumatic growth. In other words, that when we walk through a time of tragedy, when we walk through a time of difficulty, that there's a psychological change for the good. There's a shift in our behavior as a result of some type of adversity that we've experienced. And the point being is that difficulty and adversity can be healthy. I mean, you think about your life and some of the changes that have been made because of adversity um, and difficulties. And those, that adversity can change the direction of your life. And I, and I say that because I want you to think about PTS, PTG behind the thought and the truth that God who loves us is at work orchestrating everything and directing our paths. And in the fact that we can live with confidence because of the certainty of God's care, the totality of God's care. But let's turn the diamond just a little bit more and let's see if we can get another insight here. What about the aspect of the cohesiveness of God's care? Look at what he says. And, when, and we know that God causes everything to work together. Those words work together. Those two words are really one word in the Greek. Synergeo, which means working together, various elements. It means to work together, to partner together, to produce a, a, a result that is greater than the sum. So it's not the fact that there's these random things that are going on in and around us, but God superintends or he oversees the mixture of it all. How many of you guys like French fries? If you don't like French fries, you got problems, okay? I like French fries. Um, I, you know, we could probably have a discussion on who, what's the best restaurant, who's the restaurant that serves the best French fries. We just don't have time for that today. Okay, we got to talk about Jesus, not French fries. But, but I'm, I'm just, I, I was re reminded the other day when I went through and I got some French fries and um, I, I, I put one in my mouth and all of a sudden I went, oh my goodness gracious, 
Because it didn't have something on it. You know what that something was? Salt. Well, salt on some French fries is pretty, it's, I mean, that's it's commonplace, right? I mean, you like to have some salt on your French fries. That's good. Chad, you got to have some salt on your French fries. It's good. I know it's not supposed to be healthy for you, but it was good. It's good. It makes it taste better. And so I don't know that you know what salt is made up. But salt is made up of, of sodium, and it's made up of chloride, chloride sodium ions and chloride ions. And sodium in and of itself in its pure and elemental form is dangerous, as is chloride. But just the right mixture, those two coming together, can be something that's helpful, especially when you're putting it on that T-bone steak or those, what are you laughing about, man? <laughs> that T-bone steak or that baked potato with the sour cream and butter and you add just a little bit of pepper on it, okay? Or maybe you want to put some on your asparagus that's over here on the, see, y'all are ready to go to lunch, aren't you? Salt can also be used not only to make something taste better, but it can also be used to preserve. I remember as a child growing up, we would go out to the smokehouse and we would, we would take and we would, we would douse that meat to cure it with salt. We put it in the smokehouse. Well, when walking through times of difficulty and suffering, there can be different perspectives. One of those perspectives can be somebody's out to get me. God, why are you trying to get me? Why is somebody else is out trying to get me? Or the other perspective can be the fact that God is at work. One is a temporary perspective. The other is an eternal perspective. In other words, there's a bigger plan in what's going on. Maybe you've heard the story about Jim Elliott and the other missionaries, the four of the missionaries that lost their lives in trying to present the gospel to, to the natives inside of the jungles of Ecuador. And when it took place, from the perspective, from our perspective, from the worldly perspective, the temporary perspective, it was almost like, why? I mean, it was useless. It was a tragic accident. It was senseless. However, in the middle of God's plan, it wasn't just the fact it was senseless, but there was a plan and a purpose. Now, looking back, we can see that there would be a whole tribe of people that would eventually come to know Jesus as a result of their deaths, which was so difficult to grasp. And hold on to it that time. Matter of fact, there's some movies that have been written about it, like The End of the Spear, or Beyond the Gates of Splendor, if you ever want to look that up. And so here's Romans 8.28, not viewed in the light of the present circumstances and that which is temporary, but the eternal hope and the promises of God. But let's turn the diamond just a little bit more. What about the culmination of God's care? It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now, notice what he, what he didn't say. This verse doesn't say all things work together for our comfort. All things work together for our benefit because that isn't always the case, is it? I mean, how in the world can you tell me that, a, that an accident involving a lawnmower and a four-year-old boy could be defined as good, especially when they would announce to the family at that time, I don't think you'll ever walk again? I mean, how can you tell me that the diagnosis of a, of a newborn baby with Down syndrome could be something to celebrate? Yet I can imagine the questions that my parents faced early on in marriage when my accident and my sister's birth took place. God, why me? What for? Did we do something wrong? What's the reason behind all of this? It was the Christian writer, um, Joni Erickson Tata, 
who after a diving accident early on in life um, would be authentic and share that she struggled with anger and she struggled with depression and she struggled with suicidal thoughts and she struggled with the fact that God, where is God in the middle of this? Over 50 years, she's been a quadriplegic that have been succumbed to the, the only way she could get around was through a wheelchair. And she was one time asked about the question of why would God allow suffering? And this was her words, and I quote, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Did you hear that? God allows what he hates to accomplish what, what he loves. That we can be assured that, yes, God can calm the storm, but there are some times that God causes the storm in our lives. Hmm. One man would write this. God never allows pain without purpose. And that purpose is always conforming us into his likeness. In verse 29, we find these words, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, God, why is, why is all this happening to me? And the answer would be, because I want you to be more like my son. See, I, I want you to be more, understand more love, and I want you to be uh, more at peace, and I want you to, to experience patience, and I want you to be more kind, and I want you to be more gentle and more experiencing self-control. And I think as I look back on life, I, I, I have to, to say that in the difficulties that I faced in those moments when I was walking through that valley, I couldn't see that, but looking back, I see how God has used that to, to, to chisel off areas of my life to make me and conform me more into the likeness of his son as much as I don't like it at those times. That in every circumstance and every situation of life, whatever it may be, whether it's been accidents or whether it's been tragedy, whether it's been infertility or brokenness or whatever, that God has been involved in every one of those details of my life because he's got a plan. Are you with me? And see, I don't know where you're, where you're at or where you're walking through, but there's some of you that may be at that place that, man, you're just ready to throw in the towel. It was James that said this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, and your faith will be tested, there's going to come a time in your life when things don't go the way that you think they should go, and those things that you say you believe is going to be put to the test, and it's going to be an opportunity for you to demonstrate your faith or to take a back seat, to either walk through that and believe that God is in control and hold on to the truths of what the Scriptures say, or want to walk backwards. But James went on to say, so let it grow. Your endurance has, has, has a chance to grow, so let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That in those times that I can understand that whatever it may be, that God, you're up to something and it has to do with my spiritual growth, that there's a purpose behind it. But let's turn the diamond again. Let's turn it again. Just a couple more. Let's look at the condition of God's care. And we know that God causes everything to work for the good, not 
just for anyone, not just for everyone, but for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, see, we all like the part for, for all things work together for the good, but that's not the, that's not the entire story. But it's given specifically to believers, for those who love God, that have been called according to his purpose. Believing and understanding that God has a plan and God has a purpose for every one of us. And there's so many biblical examples that we can go back and we can look at where proofs, that proves this to be true. I mean, look at Noah, look at Jacob, look at Moses, look at the life of Esther, of Job, of David, just to name a few. But in reference to this, I just want to maybe take two examples really quickly that shows Roman 8.28 played out in two different ways. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Let's just take the life of Joseph. Maybe you've heard about Joseph, the coat of many colors, the guy that was, he was disliked by his brothers. He was a little cocky, misrepresented, misunderstood. His brothers were jealous of him. They wanted to kill him. But instead of following up on killing, they decided, well, listen, why don't we just sell him, throw him in a cistern, make some money in the process. And so they did. They sold him as a slave. But it gets worse because he's, he's sold as a slave, but now he gets accused of, of sexual advances toward his master's wife, and he's thrown in prison again. And after being thrown in prison, he was abandoned. But that's only part of the story. And it was near the end of Joseph's life that his brothers would be standing before him. And now Joseph has all the power in the land to be able to get back, to retaliate. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But what Joseph would say to his brothers is that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I went through everything that I've gone through up until this point for such a time as this. And looking back and having the story, we can see now where God had a plan that in everything Joseph experienced, it was a platform for God's plan, for his brother's dislike of him, throwing him in a cistern, being sold as a slave. He wouldn't have ended up in Potiphar's house, but now Potiphar's wife, because of her accusations, he ended up back in prison. And because he was in prison, he had the ability to interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, which ended up putting him in a position to be able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh, which landed him in second in charge of all of Egypt, which led him not only to be able to save the lives of many people in that land and the lands around, but also the lives of his family. So at the beginning, what looks like a woe is me. I can't believe this is happening. Oh my goodness gracious. Joseph at the end of his life was able to look back and say God meant everything for good because God had a plan. But what about the life of Jesus? What about the cross? I can't think of anything that's worse than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Here he was, just like Joseph, he was falsely accused, he was beaten, he was nailed to a cross, and there we see suffering and pain and humiliation and rejection. And what Jesus would endure would eventually become the best news ever for us. The gospel says, for God so loved the world that he would give his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In fact, Peter, when speaking in the events about the events of the crucifixion, would mix in one verse human responsibility and divine sovereignty. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it would be Luke that would record the words of Peter saying, but God knew. 
God knew. He knew what would happen, and he is pre and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of the lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to the cross and killed him. And what Peter would say that day at Pentecost when addressing the crowd was like, hey guys, look, what you did to Jesus was wrong. But it didn't catch God off guard. He already knew. See, he knew what would take place and he had already prearranged it all. And the bad news of Jesus' death, how difficult it is and as wrong as it may seem, for those of us that, that come to the place to recognize our sin and willing to turn to Jesus, man, it is incredible news. That that which is bad became that which is incredible to those who are willing to place our faith and our trust in Jesus. It was John Stott, the Anglican theologian, that would say this, I could never believe myself believing in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is so immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth and the remote look on his face detached from the agonies of this world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. I've had to turn away, and in imagination, I've turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through the hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brows bleeding from thorns, pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That's the God for me. And when we learn that our sufferings become more manageable in light of the cross, that's what John Stott said. He felt it. He experienced it. Jesus knew exactly what suffering was. And yet the suffering of Jesus would become the best news ever for those of us that were sinners. Can I turn the diamond just one more time? <laughs> Just one more time, if you would give me the opportunity. The continuation of God's care. Not just the fact that God has cared up until this point, but the continuation of God's care. <laughs> Look at what he says in verse 29 and following. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the first among a born many brothers and sisters, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him, and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And here we talk about a big picture. Here is a big picture of God's care from the beginning to the end. And here it is that we see five links in the chain of salvation, or five links in the chain of the sovereignty of God and his care, his sovereign care. And look at what he says, he foreknew. He chose, he called, he justified, he glorified. And in these five links, it takes us from eternity's past to eternity's future. Four of them being past tense. One of them yet not having happened yet. 
He foreknew. He knew us in advance. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He called us, and it was at that time our day of salvation, the day that we came to know Christ. He justified us, and we were made right with Christ through the blood of Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross. But look at the last one, what it says. For those he justified, he also gave them his glory. The only problem with is that hasn't happened yet, has it? Not yet. This old body hasn't been glorified yet, but one day it will be because Jesus is coming back. And here it is being written about in the past tense as if it has already happened. That's just how sure Paul was. It's going to happen. Our glorification as believers one day, the future glory isn't a possibility, but it is a certainty for all of us who have chosen, who have been chosen before the foundations of the world. And glorification is a done deal. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. It's going to take place. It isn't a hope so, but it's an I know so. And it is a continuation of God's care. And that suffering that you might be walking through, that time of difficulty that you might be experiencing or getting ready to experience, will not alter the continuation of God's care and his love for us. Little boy and his daddy were putting together a puzzle. One day, the father was sort of standing back while the son was becoming frustrated. He had all these little pieces of the puzzle, and he had them strode out all over the table. You know what that's like if you've ever put together a puzzle, especially one of those big ones. And so he's, the boy is struggling because he's got all these different color pieces of the puzzle, and he's got their different sizes, and he, he's just really irritated because he can't make anything work. And the father's watching at a distance, and he's watching his son get irritated and aggravated and so upset. And, and finally, the father goes, and he sits down beside the son, and he begins to take the pieces, and he begins to put them together in front of his son. And his son said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But, Dad, how are you doing that? It seems to be so simple to you. And he goes, well, son, he held up the box top, and he said, I know what the picture looks like. You've been struggling with the pieces of the puzzle, but I know what the picture looks like. I wonder how many of us in life struggling wrestling, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, but you don't see the picture, but God does. Our Heavenly Father does. See, He sees the picture not only past, present, but also future. You know, I think one of the big questions we all have to ask ourselves is this. Are you ready for this? Here's one of the biggest questions you got to wrestle with that you got to figure out. Am I okay? Am I okay just knowing that God loves me and that God cares about me? I don't know all the answers. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But are you okay with believing and holding on to the truth that God loves me and God cares about me? Because God's the only one that sees the whole picture. You don't. See, Job, Job realized that. Job was the one who lost in the Old Testament. He lost family members. He lost those close to him. He lost his health. He lost his possessions. He lost friends. And in the midst of it, when he didn't understand it all, he chose to endure. And in the midst of all the pain and all the suffering, it would be Job that would speak these words in Job 13. Even though you slay me, I will still hope in 
you. That's, that's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, in other words, when all of it looks like it's gone, when all of it looks like it's done, I don't understand it. Lord Jesus, I know that you still care for me. In the most difficult of times, when it doesn't seem as if you're paying attention, in those times that I feel like you've abandoned me, I'm going to continue to hold on because I know that you love me and I know that you care for me. But you've got to be able to hold on. I want to do something as we get ready to close today that's a little bit out of the norm. We did it in the first service, and I, I feel like it's very appropriate. I feel like it's, I think it's helpful. But I want to do this as we close up with our time today. Because the, the reality is sometimes there are those things that are pressing in on us, and if we're honest and we're truthful, it brings us to the place of being overwhelmed and just ready to give up. Maybe you're there. I mean, there's maybe some of you here that are in this building. There's maybe some listening to my voice. And that's the place that you're at. You feel like God has abandoned you. You're disillusioned. And you're, you're at the place of just wanting to say, I quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this any longer. And you're right at the place of wanting to turn and run the opposite direction. And if that's you today, the only thing I want you to do is I just want you to own it. I know this is hard, but I just want you to own it. I just want you to own it. That's me. Nothing to be embarrassed about. This is, this is me. Maybe it has to do with health. Maybe it's related to a, a relationship, a job. Maybe it's something going on at home in reference to your marriage. Maybe it's a financial issue. But this is the deal. Your faith, what you believe, the truth of God's word is under attack and you are struggling. And I know this is hard, but you're at that place. You know who you are. And what I want you to do today, if that's you, I'm just going to ask in the quietness of this authentic moment of our family that you would just stand right there where you are. That's me. This is, this is me. This is where I'm at. I'm struggling. I'm wrestling. There were multitudes in the early service. Anybody bold enough to say that's me? That's where I'm at. And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody that's close to you, but you want to stand on their behalf. You know, I was talking to somebody this past week, and man, I, they're, they're wrestling and they're struggling. They've made some choices that are completely, they're completely out of line with God's will. And God's purpose. They totally go against everything that Scripture has to say. And they're facing some tough times. And I know they're facing tough times because they're rebelling against God. But maybe you're maybe the tough times that you're experiencing doesn't have anything to do with rebellion. Maybe it's just because, because God's got something He wants to do in your life and you can't see it right now. And so you're gonna have to hold on to the fact that God loves me and God cares. Anybody else? The reason I want you to stand is because I'd like for the privilege to be able to pray with you. I think it's important. And maybe, maybe you're here. Maybe you're here and you're standing. I, and there are those of you that are standing around. Maybe you see somebody that you know that's standing and, 
just to, as a sign of support. You just want to go over them and lay your hand on their shoulder. Would you do that today? Just to just, you don't have to say anything. Maybe you're just by them. I just want to put a hand on you, on your leg, on your shoulder, just to say, I, I just want you to know I'm here. It's really important that we do this as a family. It's a, it's a body of believers. I just want to lay my hand on you. I just want you to know that I'm here for you. I support you. I love you. Could we pray? Father, I thank you today for your written word, for the truth that it brings and the confidence that we can have in you. God, what I'm praying today is I'm praying for perseverance, to be able to hold on in spite of the uncertainties and the unknowns, to help to be able to endure believing and trusting that even that your word, even when it seems possible, that all things are possible and that you're at work, you're at work. Even in those times when it seems like there's no relief or there's no resolve in sight. The Bible tells me that I can know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves me and that he cares. Father, would you help us to hold on to this certainty in spite of the uncertainties and find rest today. Father, help us to grow. And when we come to the end or the, the end of that trial or suffering that we might be facing or those around us might be facing, our prayers would be that our faith would not only be stronger, but our confidence and certainty in you would be deepened. Would you use the experiences that we face to be an encouragement to others around us that are walking through some of the same types of circumstances? Help us to to hold on to your word because it's your word that's truth. Thank you, Father, for the privilege we have as a family to recognize that in the midst of those times we don't have to run, but we can count it a joy. Just as James would say, in the expectation of endurance that we would be faithful followers of Jesus in this gospel race. Father, as we prepare to walk out these doors, help us to recognize that we are your hands and feet, that you've given us the privilege to be your body to this world, to this broken world that we live in. There are multitudes around us that need Jesus. And for the person here, maybe, or the listening to my voice that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus and they're struggling, help us to hold on to the fact that obedience to the law doesn't save us, but only by God's grace can we be saved through faith of placing our faith and trust in Jesus and saying, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Jesus, even today, would you save me? Would you save me right now? Help us to, to hold on to that hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that he became the Lamb of God, that we'd be sacrificed for the sins of the world once and for all. No more. And at the end of life, and at the end of that journey, to be able to look back and say, God, look at what you have done. Look at me now. Wow. What change, what transformation has taken place because of Jesus. Thank you for the reading of your word. Jesus, thank you for loving us when we are definitely not lovable at times, and for the hope that we have in Jesus and the certainty of God's care and love. In Jesus' name, amen.